Well, hello, sports fans. Welcome to After the Buzzer. This is episode two. My name is Ian Busby. I am pleased to be joining you to chat about some CFL football. We're after week one. Man, it was good to see people out enjoying football games. Good to have the CFL back. Um, some classic CFL action. You know, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders jump out 31 nothing, and then the BC Lions make it a game, and it comes right down to the finish. And then uh, some, you know, interesting situations where the two Alberta teams that are expected to be big contenders in the West Division both lose. They uh, lose to Eastern teams. I didn't think an East team would be the West team at all season long. It's generally been the way things have gone in the CFL for the last few years. Lots of things happen in, in the CFL, and I'm excited to bring in uh, Danny Austin from Post Media to chat about it. We're, uh, we're going to break it down, uh, starting right now. All right, Danny, week one is in the books. It is really good to have CFL football back. I knew you were in the stadium for the game uh, Saturday night, Argos versus Stamps. I was not. I was watching on television. Uh, I got to admit, on Saturday night, it was a fun night to sit in the pub and watch two games back-to-back. -back. Uh, some takeaways I have right quick. Uh, I think the Stamps look good uh, despite losing. I think the Eskimos look bad and lost, or Eskimos, Elks, obviously. Um, and uh, I think the Riders' offense looks good. Uh, if Ottawa had any sort of an offense, they might be a contender. Uh, what is your general takeaway from having this uh, football back? It was so exciting. Friday night's game was the most in entertaining, I think, uh, Riders versus Lions. Uh, but we'll break down, we'll get into each one here. But uh, overall, how did you feel after week one? and no preseason, yeah, kind of a little bit of sloppy play, but I think that's to be expected. Yeah, to be honest, I thought it was less sloppy than I expected. I, I mean, the Edmonton-Ottawa game was very sloppy. Uh, I didn't think Hamilton looked particularly ready to play, although they were missing some main guys. Beyond that, like, I, I honestly, we, we talked about preseason games when we talked uh, earlier this week, and in my opinion, like, it looked like a bunch of teams that didn't have preseason games. But ultimately, we're, we're able to execute at a slightly higher level than I was expecting. There was an, I, I honestly thought that this might be a little bit embarrassing this week. Yeah. I'm totally honest. And, and the football was not embarrassing. We had some fun finishes. Um, and I honestly think that if anyone's opinion on who's going to win the Grey Cup changed after week one, then I think they're probably pretty stupid. Yeah, well, I don't think we, we can read much into anything that happened. But I'd like to start with the last game of the week, the Elks and the Red Blacks. And I think everybody thought this was going to be a massive blowout. Ottawa uh, is a solid defensive team, and they look like they're fairly well coached. Um, they don't have much of offense uh, going. I think I counted uh, 120 yards of offense or so for the whole thing. Matt Nichols threw for 71 yards, and yet they win. Uh, Trevor Harris throws for 333 yards, but those three interceptions. Uh, the big one to Abdul Kane, obviously, and... Uh, Man, uh, we know what he's been doing during the uh, pandemic, right? He's been growing out his hair. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of long-haired men on Ottawa. Uh, <laughs> that was that was definitely one of our observation. Uh, look, we knew they were going to be well coached. I mean, like we knew Paul Lapolis is a is a good coach. I, I have no question there. Um, nothing that happened changed my opinion on on Ottawa as a contender. I don't think they are. Uh, I, I think that like ultimately. Yeah, you, you need your quarterback to do more. I don't think Matt Nichols looked like he had any business um, playing right now. I don't know how hurt he is. I, I don't want to speculate on that. But um, 
my, my question with Ottawa in the offseason, when they decided to sort of flip, not a trade, but flip Nick Arbuckle for Matt Nichols, is I was like, why aren't you sticking with the younger quarterback here? Like, why aren't you – like, your offense isn't ready to go out and, and, and win a Grey Cup. Your defense is pretty good. Why not just develop Arbuckle and give him time to, to, to grow? And they didn't do it. So I don't, I, I don't think Matt Nichols I, – I, it still doesn't make sense to me that he's the starting quarterback of this team. But, look, I also thought that they had a possibility of not winning a single game, and they won a game. So <laughs> I'm really happy right? for Ottawa. Good for them. I mean, like, I think this is a really embarrassing loss for Edmonton, except that it's week one of a season with no preseason games. So nothing is that embarrassing. You're working things out. Right. And I think outside of a few key mistakes and a touchdown that was called back uh, because he was just a foot out of bounds, uh, Edmonton's offense looked pretty solid. Uh, that's going to be the strength of their team, obviously. And they only allowed 16 points in 120 yards. So it's right. seven of those points came on an interception uh, pick six too, right? So it's you can't really blame that that team. Uh, one wait, thing a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's that? I'm going to compliment Edmonton's office. I don't know if we're planning on going into it later, but like, are we sure Trevor Harris is good? Well, I, I don't know. I think we argued about this in episode one about Trevor Harris being high up on the uh, TSN top 50 list, uh, higher than we would have put him. And uh, no, I don't, I don't think he's probably what the fourth best quarterback in the division at best. I mean, maybe maybe fifth, yeah, depending maybe. on what you think of uh, the BC situation, which the BC situation is uh, much more interesting. We'll get into that in a minute, but that's pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, no, I, he might be the you know the least um, capable starting quarterback in this division of winning a Grey Cup, uh, but uh, I think with their running game and they've got some depth at receiver, so I think that's where you find. Uh, uh, Edmonton strength. Uh, and also, uh, James Wilder Jr., uh, why can't he find a jersey that fits? So he, he looked like he was a college player. That uh, <laughs> Are you still in college, James Wilder Jr.? I, I did need, not notice did, that. As you know, did you, I did you need to borrow a, Do you need to borrow a suit from Danny Austin to, so you can was, look good again? I have a Get Wilder hat in my uh, <laughs> that, he, that he gave me in exchange for the suit that I lent him at Grey Cup. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when I saw him, I thought, Wow, Danny needs to give him his jersey off his back so that it might fit him. Uh, something a little oversized, which I think mean, that's what happened. It's not a fashion podcast, but if there's ever been an example of how like waist size only tells you so much, the fact right. that like 2018 fat Danny Austin and like incredible athletic like <laughs> specimen of a man, James Wilder, fit into the suit says a yeah. lot about how you know right. waist size doesn't tell you the whole story. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he uh, he was showing off his abs, and I, there was one point in the uh, in that game where the ref went up to him and said, "What's up with your jersey?" You could see, and he's like, he pulled it down. He's like, "It doesn't fit." I was like, "Well, get a like, is his torso that long?" I don't think it is. They could find a jersey that could fit him. Uh, I will also say that James Wilder Jr. showed me something uh, in this in that game. Like, you know, not almost ninety yards rushing, uh, rushing the ball. Like, I, I think James Wilder because he had such a strong rookie season and maybe didn't. White followed that up all that well in 2018 or 2019. Not that he was bad, but I don't think that he was sort of the the superstar that people expected him to be. I, I think that bodes well for Edmonton, that he's out there and he's actually being productive with the ball. 
Yeah. Well, look at his, uh, the, the rushing numbers aren't popping out, but it's because he did most of his damage in the receiving game with nine catches for 72 yards. And if he's going to be 160 total offense, eh? Yes. And so he's like, he's going to, if he's the focus point and uh, he was like running the ball well, and those, you know, most of his receiving yards were yards after the catch too. So it's um, he, he's going straight ahead and, and knocking people over too. So uh, that, that game, I think we'll put it to the side. Now, one thing I have to do, uh, I'm really impressed with the way the Edmonton franchise has embraced this new direction. The Elks, uh, it looked like they were handing out uh, T-shirts at the game because there was many people with the antler up uh, T-shirts that you could see in the crowd, and they were focusing on that. Uh, I thought they were doing a good job of uh, getting everybody on board with this uh, new nickname, and uh, it seemed like there was a good atmosphere there because of that. And, and this is actually part of a larger point that I, I think that I'm like willing to make on this podcast with you because you know this is a trusting space, but the outs organization and franchise as a whole, I find really, really impressive. I, I think that like you, you hear about these promotions they do to get young people in the stands and, and the outreach they have in the community and all that. That's not something we necessarily see in Calgary. And I don't want to put that on anyone who works for the Calgary organization. I'm sure it's a budget issue. And I'm sure part of that is being sort of community owned versus, versus corporate owned. But right. the else, like, yeah, I mean, they they weren't 100% forced to do the name change. You know, it was a conversation, but it wasn't the way it was in, like, in Washington with their football team or, or certainly in Cleveland. Like, they ultimately made a decision that they didn't think that they were doing the right thing by keeping that name, and they've embraced it. And, like, I made all these jokes about the Evergolds when they were picking names. The second they picked the Elks, I said, you know what? They're doing it right. They're doing the right thing. Let's support that and let's show. So I, I just – I have a lot of time for that organization as a whole. I think that they're, like, yeah. really, really – they're a credit to the CFL. Well, and I think if you couple them with or with Winnipeg and Saskatchewan is because all the money they make, they put back into all this stuff, right? So they can they can use the, those marketing funds to go out and print out how many ever T-shirts. And somebody can probably let us know how many T-shirts were given out because they must have given them out because uh, there were so many in the crowd that it was obvious that People walked in, they were handed a t-shirt that said antler up and, and then the, the defense records a sack in the first quarter and then they got the antler thing going on. And uh, no, it was, it was nice to see them completely embrace uh, this new direction and uh, good on them for it. All right. Uh, let's go back to the stamps game uh, earlier on Saturday night. The, and I think you, we were just chatting quickly before we came on this and you said, uh, the Stamps lost this game. The Argos didn't win it. And you're not really panicking about anything that's happening with the Stamps. They just had a few key mistakes that ultimately cost them the lead there. And then uh, uh, some, you know, undisciplined uh, play and uh, a few punches to the face and stuff like that. But uh, one thing that I'm really impressed with uh, is Deshaun Amos. Uh, He's going to be in the conversation for defensive player of the year if he keeps up what he's been doing, what, what he started with this in this game. Uh, your thoughts on that? I mean, I've been saying this for years. So I, what I will say about Deshaun <laughs> um, he, look, he was a halfback in 2019. Um, he had the most interceptions of any halfback in, in the CFL. They've moved him to boundary corner. I, I do think that's going to be made. Look, can he win? DPOY. I asked Davis Sanchez when Trey Roberson got off to that incredible start in, in 2019. I was like, 
what would a corner have to do to win? And what he said is, is basically that the problem is, if you know about defense, yes, you have to be on every play as a corner. But he's like, yeah. you're not in the trenches the way that a defensive lineman or a linebacker is. So yeah. it's just hard to put a, a defensive back above those guys because they're dealing with contact. You know, like everything sort of revolves around what happens with that group. Um, Sean Amos, I asked Josh Bell in 2018. So I'm, I'm taking a very roundabout way to getting to this point, and I apologize. Mm-hmm. But uh, Josh Bell was the DB coach, and I asked him. Deshaun Amos came in, and I think it was five days later, on a Grey Cup champion winning team. They needed him because of an injury. He started. He had one week of practice, and he was starting for a team that was, like, competing for the West Championship, competing – the Grey Cup and winning the Grey Cup ultimately. Like, he's that good. He's just a natural talent. I asked Josh Bell about it, and Josh Bell said that he'd never seen a player test higher at a rookie camp than Deshaun Amos. So, I mean, he's got all the tools. I was shocked when he came back because he signed with the Green Bay Packers in 2020. Yeah, you were positive at that point he was just going to stay down there. So. I think he's an NFL talent. I, like, I'm honestly shocked that he came back, and when he did come back, him and Jameer Thurman were the two where I was like, oh, I believe in the Stampeders again. But what he did, the Argos – did not throw the ball boundary side early in the game. I mean, they took a couple shots later, but like they did not because they know who Deshaun is. Ryan Dinwiddie knows who Deshaun Amos is. He will be the best boundary corner in the league this year. And I mean, that chase down, like. Right. It, it was reminiscent of a play a decade ago where uh, Brown and Browner did the, both the same thing to, uh, and I think it was uh, Andy Fantus, if I'm not mistaken, but just one of those give up, never give up kind of plays. And uh, when you you look at it, he's not even remotely involved in the play, and he comes just from out of nowhere and catches him, right? So and it's fine. So and it saves it saves a touchdown and gives them the lead at the uh, like preserves their lead. Like it's it's that that if they had won, that was the highlight play of the game. And instead, it turns out to something else, right? One hundred percent. And and he knocks the ball out, which is right. Like, like you've just run seventy yards sprinting as fast as you can and you have the wear and punch it out <laughs> um and john lafave actually sent me today a video of fred bennett against the alouettes doing something similar fred bennett yes that's who it was yeah yeah um so i think that might be the player talking about but this guy i mean that play is the highlight but the way he was in coverage he's not going to get beat downfield i honestly like i you're always hesitant because you don't want to look like a homer so when you're talking about your own team um, but like that guy is special. That guy is a, a special, special talent. Raheem Wilson playing next to him at half. Like, I just don't think people are going to be able to throw boundary side on this team. And I think that it is worth noting that that DB group, I, I basically broke the numbers down. And I, I think that McLeod Bethel Thompson threw for about 350. Yeah. Like 90 of those yards come on one play. Right. And I mean, it's like, and the Argos had a hundred yard drive on their first play of the game if you actually look what like the argos second touchdown comes when they got the ball on like the 27 yard line after the carry fumble like the stamps d looked really good and jamar wall got hurt on the first play of the game and richard leonard who was a legitimate all-star was so if those guys are back this stampeders defense people need a need to wake up it's going to be really something special i i honestly believe like you're just not running the ball down the middle when Jameer Thurman is there. Uh, Mike Rose and, and Derek Wigan are so strong at the D-tackle spots. And the defensive end, look, they didn't take McLeod Bethel-Thompson down, but they did put him under pressure. They did yeah. put him under 
and and you got well, Lehman. Sean, Sean Lehman did uh, get get a sack at the end, and he didn't right. seem to be really effective until later in the game. Uh, I don't know what the rotation was. Uh, the one thing about the defensive backs is you can't really see on TV how effective, and this hurts the out-of-town voting, right? So when you have a, a guy like um, Amos, you you can't really see what he's doing play to play, uh, and uh, that's I think that's what uh, uh, hurts your when you're talking about awards and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I certainly I certainly like to watch all 24. So yeah, but the first thing the coaches tell you when you start covering this league and you start talking about DBs is the other thing is that the guys who get the most interceptions tend to be the guys who. Teams get are the most chances going at. So <laughs> yeah. like, that's the problem is the best DBs teams just avoid hucking the ball their way. So I, I, I mean, if you look at Trey Roberson's numbers, those first three, four games, he has a ton of interceptions and then teams just kind of like, like, all right, we're going to game plan around throwing it towards Trey Roberson. And I, I think Deshaun may get that respect right from the start. Although they do have BC up next and I don't know, what BC is doing at quarterback. So <laughs> he, he may get you know what they're doing at quarterback. Uh, two more points I want to make in the in the stamps game. Uh, Eric Rogers at points in this game looked like a uh, a telephone pole that couldn't move. Like he just is long and lanky, and maybe that's the way he's always been. But he looked uh, completely awful. And then late in the game, he was wide open, and that's just the slickness, I guess that. Uh, you you get with that an older receiver like that who's had a lot of injury problems in the in the past and uh it, what did you see in person that uh, uh that you can tell me about what Eric Rogers did? and you know you've known him for a few years so you would have some basis as to what he's looked like but i thought there was times he just looked you know oh man he's just so slow and i don't know if he's going to be able to get open and then suddenly he was late in the game and he had that key uh, uh two point conversion that uh, basically tied the game there, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think the thing with Eric Rodgers is, since he came back, I mean, I think Eric Rodgers is the best in the league at you really need that catch, and you just huck the and you throw the ball up, and he will normally out-jump the DB and bring it down. And yeah. I think that that's a skill that I don't – look, Kamara is probably the guy there, but I think the Stamps are going to miss. I think Bo is a guy who sometimes just needs to, like, know that – we talked about that confidence. I mean, he needs to know that his receiver can come down with the ball and he can throw it at Eric Rodgers. So I don't know that Eric Rodgers, like Eric Rodgers wasn't going out and getting 150 yards a game. I mean, he's a guy who is there when you need him in big moments and yeah, not that. And so I, um, yeah, like Eric Rodgers is, you know, I mean, he's, he's like, you call him, a, a, I forget what you call him, but I older and slower. Well, <laughs> a I telephone pole. <laughs> I just don't know that he's, He's not the guy. He's a slot back who gets in in there and makes the catch. And um, I think in the CFL that has a lot of value. So I, I I just wouldn't worry. I was there are other receivers I was more worried about that game. Um, and I just don't think you're going to get a million yards after carry. I think his job is to go up, jump up really high in the air and get the ball. And I don't think Bethel Thompson trusts him to do that because he just hasn't seen him right. do it over and over again yeah a possession guy got five receptions for 55 yards the one that is the biggest one was that two-point conversion it doesn't show up on the stat sheet of course and then the other last point is when Bo ended up losing a couple receivers and then you had a uh you tweeted out a comment from dave dickinson about how Bo just lost confidence with his receiving core without 
uh, Jordan and Huff in there. And then, Josh, uh, yeah, Josh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then uh, I, I like, I looked at the one play where Richardson Danny is he throws the ball to him before he comes out of his break and it hits him in the legs and you can see the frustration. I was like, Oh, they're not on the same page. And then it, you could just see that frustration. It goes back to early part of Bo's career when he'd always have, he would have Mark way McDaniel to be that guy that he could trust all the time and had that great chemistry with. And then when he didn't have that guy, he didn't have Mark way. And then it became Eric Rogers. And now it's Kamar Jordan. It, if when he doesn't have that guy, he's got to find a way to, still find trust in the guys, other guys around him that, uh, and is, is that your, your take on that? And I think Dave's pinpointed, right? Yeah. And I mean, I, I didn't pit, like tweet out all of Dickinson's quotes. One of the things that he said is they need to get Herjie Mayala involved. Like, mm-hmm. and, and Mayala, I think only had two catches for something like 16 yards. He's supposed to be, if not their number one, their number two. I think we saw pretty clearly early in the game that Josh Huff is their number one. Um, yeah. He's so fast. He's, he's good. Like, I also believe he's a confidence player, and he had some drops late last year. But uh, I think Josh Huff's their number one. I don't think that you want Kamar Jordan at his age with his injury issues leading your team in receiving yards necessarily. And I think you have to go the younger, more explosive guys. And, yeah, I, I did think – I mean, that is arguably the most – I don't know if it's criticism or if it's just a statement of fact that Dave was making. But, like, that was a pretty pointed statement on Bo saying like Bo loses confidence in our receivers and then we lose our mojo. That mm-hmm. is saying something. So Bo needs to develop that confidence and develop that chemistry and all of that. But yeah, it, it wasn't there in the second half. Um, I do think that what ultimately happened, like I, I believe that the stamps O-line held up way, way better. If you watch that entire game, I mean, it's very, Bo gets the ball out of his hands very quickly. They mm-hmm. weren't looking for that 35 yard toss downfield. They were looking to go five yards at a time, get five yards from the run game, get it across and move the sticks. Um, and I, I do think that the Argos just decided to blitz the hell out of them in the second half, and they were less effective. Um, yeah. but, and, and still didn't record a sack, so they uh, they managed to avoid that pressure and keep a bit cleaner. So, But, uh, yeah, I, the way I look at this, I don't – nothing too shocking develop-wise. Uh, I don't think Toronto's going to be – they're going to be a contender, but I don't think they're going to be that impressive. Uh, I still like uh, Calgary as one of the best teams in the West. Look, think about the mistakes that they made. They went – they had four different possessions that ended in field goals instead of touchdowns. I think that it was a, a marginal call on the offensive pass interference – on Kamara. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, um, I feel like that rub route happens all the time. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I, didn't know it was a, I mean, it was a violent collision, but it was nowhere near the ball. I, I think it's like just one of those ones where ultimately, if you win the game, you don't complain about it, but if you lose, it stands out. And right. then the next one, to be perfectly honest, I thought it was a clear DPI on the Colton Hunchak. Um, like Colton Hunchak on the very next play, they go to him, and I thought it was defensive pass interference, one hundred percent. So, you know. I think that the Stampeders made all these mistakes. The, the penalty uh, on Kadeem Carey, the Kadeem Carey fumble, um, and the Argos still needed a last-minute field goal to beat them. Yeah, like, so. come on, like what are right? we talking? Exactly. So no, no panic in Calgary. That's what basically we're saying. And Toronto takes that win. They give uh, Dinwiddie the uh, the Gatorade bath, and they've got the first win out of the way. And uh, we'll see what they do going forward. They got a lot of road games to start the year, which is going to be tough, right? Uh, let's go to BC versus the Riders. I got a question for you. One uh, thirty-two left on the clock. Where are you trying an onside kick? 
confusing to me that Rick Campbell, the son of legendary uh, Edmonton coach Hugh Campbell, spent his life around the CFL. He should know 132 is a lifetime to go. You don't need to do the onside kick at the end. Uh, it seemed to me that you kick it deep, you force them into a two and out, which they did. They got the, the ball coming back to them at 58 seconds left on the clock with a 30 yards of real estate that they lost in that uh, trying onside kick. Uh, I think cost them the game because they could have tried to, well, they missed extra points. They've got a kicking problem there in BC as well. And the, uh, so they needed a touchdown to win, but had it been a field goal, like maybe that would have changed his mind. Uh, still, I don't know why you go for the onside kick there. I think it's uh, a little, little, a little bit of a coaching error, but uh, overall that game, what was your thought on the BC Lions quarterback situation? Cause we thought, okay, if Mike Riley really is this hurt, uh, you don't come in, especially when you're down 31, six, what, uh, <laughs> give me your thoughts on this uh, situation. Cause I couldn't understand it at the start. So let's assume that there's a needle that quarterbacks can take. Um, <laughs> that, to, to which part of your body? That's the thing. Well, so their, their arms hurting, I guess. Because, I mean, based on all available evidence, Mike Riley's arm was a noodle. Um, okay. So do we just think that just, like, the effects of the needle didn't kick on, kick like, didn't kick in on time? Like, what happened there? Because for him, like, they thought he was a starter, then he wasn't. But then he was in the second half. I mean, my only explanation, I mean, I'm joking here to be clear, but my only right. explanation is that the effects of the needle that they put in guys to make their bodies not hurt just didn't kick in fast enough. And he was good to go at halftime because it makes absolutely no sense. And if your quarterback can't play in the first half of the first game of the season, just hold him out. Just give yeah. him. Do not put him in down 31-6. Now, they valiantly came back to make it a game. Uh, but then the riders, I'm terrified right now that that happened. Well, then they, yeah. And then they put the, then they put the kid back in at the end again. So, uh, it's, it was a, it was an interesting situation to say the least. And for the first half of that game, Mike, Michael Riley got all of the camera love. They seemed to go to him on every single play. And, and then the Nathan Rourke comes off the field and he takes him over to the bench and they're going through the, the photos and showing him what he's seeing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, bizarre situation in BC, that's for sure. Uh, and like, I do think some of the anger was misplaced at the time. I do think a lot of it, like, look, I'm not a gambler. I I'm, don't want to talk about single game betting, but I do think like these injury reports are supposed to be telling us this information because of single game betting. I honestly don't care about that. What's weird to me is that it sort of seems like Rick Campbell was not entirely clear on what was happening the entire time. Like, he didn't really know. And I know, having covered the Stampeders, Bo Levi Mitchell constantly tells this story about, I think it was before the 60-1 to win over Hamilton back in 2017. He didn't think he was playing. And then an hour before the game, he went and was like, sorry, Buckley, and like tapped on Dave's shoulder and was like, I'm in. I'm good to go. And Dave was like, cool. Like, I do think your starting quarterback can tell you if he's ready to go. But if he tells you he's not ready to go at – the start of the game and then but he's good at halftime yeah and it's week one of the season like just it just feels like unnecessary risk i'm not saying like in terms of putting him in danger it's just it's a really really weird call on the red blacks yeah. and like i get my friend, to me. competitor he doesn't want to embarrass the team he you know he wants to get out there do his best but like i just feel like 
the coaching staff should say no. If you weren't ready to go an hour or two hours ago, you're not ready to go now. Right. Yeah. Bizarre. And it, you can tell that the, the riders kind of fed off of that, that energy of having the rookie in there. They, they went guns ablaze and, and their offense in the first half, uh, if they're going to do this high possession, high execution, short yardage, high up-tempo offense, uh, if they can make that work and continue it, I don't know what happened. I don't know where it went because the first half they were rolling down the field, these nice short increments, moving quickly. It felt like it was one play after the other. They're not even using the full play clock. They're really, they really wore the defense out quickly. And uh, that rider offense looked good to start out with. And then they just took their foot off the gas and uh, didn't, uh, didn't, they could have made that a 60 to one game is what I'm trying to say. Uh, and for inexplicable reasons, they didn't. So, but they still managed to come out with the victory. I also just think you should run the ball a whole lot more than they did in the second half. Um, I was honestly, the riders confused me. Um, I, they, I will talk, I will give you a, my read on the riders at Labor Day, but like, I cannot for the life of me figure out if they are, if it's just the Saskatchewan media pumping them up because that's what the Saskatchewan media does. And I think they're way overrated. Or if actually, like, maybe they're a pretty good football team. I will say that coming out of week one, I am i can't sit here and say, don't overreact to what happened with the Stamps, and then also tell you, well, you should overreact to what happened to the Riders. I think that second half is pretty concerning. Yeah. And, and as good as they looked in the first half, the second half gives you pause. So you overall, you go, okay, well, there's some good things to take out of that one, and uh, you can – you can feel that they're going to be, they're they're going to be a contender for first. Um, pulling out this victory obviously helps that. And uh, there's only 14 games. It's 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 going to be like you don't want to give away these ones too early, right? Oh, and with like with the stamps. So two things on this. Uh, like Dickinson said after the game, and I think this is like worth noting. He was like, lots of lessons to learn. He's like, I'd rather have learned them after a win. And like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like so this does matter the wins and losses. Secondly, and like. I will very much have a different opinion if the Stamps lose to BC. If you go down 2-0, we're having a different conversation here. Yes. And that's going to be a, an onus game for BC as well. So uh, good games early in the year. I like it. Uh, going back to the season opener, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers beating the Hamilton Tiger Cats, which was a bit of a snoozer. Uh, and I think Winnipeg fans would even say, oh, well, at least we won. Uh but uh, what did you see out of the Thai Cats? Because of the, you feel like it's just missing some key players that the the reason they stumbled out of the gate a little bit. I mean, partially, um, look, I think that yeah, they were down what three, four starters on the offense. That that makes a difference. I also like watched the Grey Cup last year. I just I, I've said this from the start. I think that Winnipeg will be in trouble if Zach Caleros takes an injury, and I think that's a really big risk. I also genuinely think that their defensive and offensive lines are going to dominate teams this year. And I, I think that they should probably be the favorite against every team they face as long as Claris is healthy. So, um, like, that's what I saw. I saw a Hamilton team that just isn't quite built to contend with this Bombers team. It's week one, though. Yeah. So they don't match up well against the Bombers, but uh, they don't have to play them again for a while, which is good news for them. Uh, Winnipeg 
again, I, I don't know if you feel like you're really impressed there, but uh, they're Brady Oliveira. Uh, 126 yards on the ground. Uh, that's a recipe for winning. That'll that's a way to keep your quarterback out of uh, action and and keep him a little bit uh, safer. If you're worried about Zach Kolaros, uh taking another shot to the head, that's for sure. And again, part of that is offensive line, right? I mean, they've got a really nice O line there, and they create holes, and and guys run through holes. And like most running backs in this league, if you give them the space to get a couple, you know, a couple good steps in, they're gonna. They're going to pick up yards, and I, I think Brady Oliveira seems like a really talented guy. Um, we'll see what happens when Andrew Harris gets back. I, I'm not questioning that he's an important part of that team, but I do think when you have that O-line, it's, it's going to help pick up a lot of yards. I think Winnipeg is good. I Honestly, my only question with Winnipeg, as I just said, and I will repeat it, I just think Zach Caleros, you need, you need an experience backup on that team, given his injury history. And that's where it can all go sideways because he's this head injury is making me nervous, man. Otherwise, yeah. they, they should be great cup favorites. Well, it doesn't feel like uh, Toronto will want to trade him uh, Bethel McLeod Johnson or uh, sorry, Bethel McLeod right now. Uh, you, you mentioned that was one of the names of uh, guys they could pick up at the end of the year if uh, if Coleros, uh does get hurt. Uh, some interesting storylines this week. Obviously, quick turnaround for you uh, with uh, BC coming into town. Uh, what do you think is the uh, the focus this week for the Stamps? I mean, you'll have some serious conversations about discipline. Uh, as I said, I, I think Mike Rose, there was a headbutting penalty that he took in the first half that um, I think could have seen an ejection, to be perfectly honest. I'm, I mean, I'm not saying it should have, but uh, when it happened, I was like, well, wait a minute, what's, what's going to happen here? I think Kadeem Carey flipping the ball to defenders bad. I do think it's discipline, and then honestly, like, they only have one practice. They have a walkthrough. I've seen the schedule this week. It's a walkthrough Monday, a practice Tuesday, and a walkthrough. So, look, I, I, it's execution. I I do believe that, like, they need to get her Jimmy Alla involved. Uh, I think they're going to do the same thing. They ran the ball one time, one game in 2019, more than they ran the ball yesterday. We've learned that about the Stampeders. They are going to try to establish the run game. They're going to try to punish you with that combination of Kadeem Carey and Ante Milanovic-Litre. And hopefully that gains a little bit of time for Bo to find his receivers. And that's going to be sort of their recipe on offense. They're fine defensively. I just, I, I don't know if Mike Riley can start. So Thursday's game might be a little bit of a gimme for the Stars. Right. Okay. Well, uh, the rest of the schedule, all games out in West uh, again, uh, because of the waiting for the East to open up a little bit further before they, uh, they head to the Eastern time zone for some starts. The Toronto doesn't have their first home game until the 21st. Uh, Ottawa doesn't have their first home game till the 28th. And Montreal doesn't have theirs until Montreal. And Hamil- Hamilton's is Labor Day. And does Montreal ever play at home? Uh Right, the 27th, so the same weekend. So it's uh, it's going to be fun. All Western time zones games, uh, I, I like that. Uh, any other thoughts as we uh, head to wrap up here? No, I mean, it's the obvious luck. I think it's good to have it back. I'm, I, I, I've talked to you about this. I think I said it on last week's sort of pod. Uh, I'm fascinated by this Montreal team. Um, I think, I don't know, it was one of the guys from three down, whether it was Hodge or... or Joel, uh, one of them just tweeted, like, 
is Montreal now top of everyone's power rankings because they haven't shown <laughs> right <laughs> um, and like I, I do sort of feel that way and like I look I was surprised with the way that Winnipeg dominated Hamilton this week I was I, I thought that was going to be a closer fight it's now happened twice in a row so I'll be if I did if I was a betting man I'd be picking Winnipeg every time against that Ticats team um beyond that like I I think the football was a little bit better than we thought it was going to be but I also think that like we really need to remember how little we know yeah and like exactly it is it is really okay for for media for reporters fans get carried away do what you want but like man like none of these teams have played together even in preseason <laughs> i know you don't like preseason but like come on. well i know uh because it's practice that's what it is it's just practice the the one thing that we saw was lower scoring games uh the highest scoring game was the bc saskatchewan one and that one was like quickly a blowout with a pick six involved uh and then uh BC fighting their way back. Uh, I'd like to see more scoring, but I think that's what's going to happen early in the season. It takes a lot longer for offenses to gel than it does for defenses. And uh, I think that's the way things are going so far. Yeah, I don't think any of the quarterbacks looked particularly great. I mean, Bob Bethel Thompson, I guess, had 350. But again, 90 of those yards resulted in a turnover because they were on one play. Um, I, I don't think the quarterbacks look great this week. I wouldn't expect them to look great this week. Um, I would say Labor Day is when I expect to have an idea of what certain teams are. I don't think Edmonton's as bad, I, although I do question whether Trevor Harris can lead them anywhere. Um, like I, This was a fun week of football that only meant anything in the standings. Yeah. So – uh, glad to have it back. Uh, glad to see uh, fans enjoying games all across the uh, all across the Western Canada so far, and across it's, the country. It's going to be in the next few weeks. Add one thing. You bet. It's crazy that after touchdowns, players are allowed to jump into the stands and embrace. Right? But I'm not allowed to watch practice from the stands. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was wondering how these protocols are going with uh players and it's like okay i've been isolated with my team i want to i want to get with people so kamar jordan has to work on his lambo leap because he didn't do it on one try but uh you know he I, did go he did go into the stands and that was exciting he tore everything <laughs> and that was a, that was a touchdown that that didn't count no no no, that wasn't that was the first one that was the first was one. it yeah oh was it um, okay and also like kamar jordan tore every single thing in his knee like literally Oh, I mean, I don't know how many ligaments are in the knee, so let's not pretend here. I well, I can tell you too because I study this stuff. Uh, there's uh, four main ones. The uh, the 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 one that he did, I think, was a I terrible triad. ACL, MCL, PCL, and then there's a fourth. I don't know what the fourth is. Uh, well, if you go ACL, anterior, medial, so MCL, PCL is on the outside, and then LCL, which is your lateral or laterals on the outside, PCLs on the back. Uh, I, th I believe he tore, which we call the terrible triad, which is uh, ACL, MCL, and then a meniscus tear as well, which is, yeah, uh, yeah this it's not fun. <laughs> and, like, probably career-ending, like, it, for most football players. The fact that he got back, man, you score your first touchdown in three years, jump into the stands. I'm not criticizing him for that. I'm just making yeah. it. Um, 
Can I tell you a story about kinesiology? Sure. You were a, you were a kinesiology major? We had 13 grades, and I was the last OAC graduate in Ontario. So my year also graduated with the grade 12s because they started a new curriculum where we cut out the 13th year of high school. Or the 13th oh, year. that must have felt good that you did an extra year whenever everybody, everybody younger than you didn't have it to do it. It was one of the most fun years of my life. Like, to be honest, like, I loved it. But second <laughs> semester, um, I was all, like, I had all my credits. I was accepted at the University of Guelph. It meant nothing. But I was like student council, like I ran the student council and I, I was going back and I was hanging out with my friends. And this girl from the um, Canadian Ballet School transferred and I had second period with her. And I sat next to her and I was like, what's your first period class? Just like talking to her because we got along and she was like, kinesiology. So I decided that I was going to start in a year, in a semester when school meant nothing. I was like, I'm just going to switch into kinesiology so I can get to know this girl better. Like we dated for like a week and a half and then she broke up with me and I just stopped going to the class. And, <laughs> um, and but I didn't drop it for some reason. And, oh, I had to take a certain number of classes because I was a student council president. And oh, okay. um, about two months later, I got a call while I'm at home and the kinesiology teacher was like, Danny, come to class. We need to have a conversation. And it was one of those classes where your lowest test mark got dropped. So every other student, like they weren't in, to, like they were grade 12s in it, they weren't into university yet, they needed that grade. And he walked me up in front of the entire class and they all hated me. And he was like, if Danny Austin skips another class or goes to the washroom and doesn't come back in three minutes for the rest of the semester, I'm not dropping any of your lowest test marks. <laughs> Okay. So I had to spend so, the last two months of high school just showing up at 845 to a kinesiology class that I didn't do any. I just failed the course. I just like, completely refused to go. Um, and I just had to sit there and like be so bored about kinesiology, which I hated um, because other people needed to get into university. It was brutal. So, and this is why you don't know which ligaments are which in the, uh, in the knee? Oh, I literally, like, the final exam, I did not answer a single question. I was so resentful. I just, like, went, sat there for the 45 minutes that I had to be there, and then handed in the test. Yeah. I got, like, 12%, and it was all because of, I, I mean, to be honest, I have no idea if she's a good person or a bad person. She's a lovely lady, I'm sure. Uh, but it was all because I, I had a crush on a girl. Man, oh, man. I, the funny things that happen to you because of women. So uh, we won't get into <laughs> other things right now uh, as we go along. But that will wrap up the second episode of After the Buzzer. Uh, I've, uh, I'm enjoying it so far. Uh, I hope you guys are too. Uh, I know Danny and I are um, doing this uh, mostly for fun. So hopefully you guys uh, keep liking it. If you like it and you got this far, retweet it. I mean, like, let people know. Share it yeah. around. That helps. Right. Subscribe. You're gonna, you, you're telling me you were going to get a YouTube channel. I'm just the weekly guest. I'm not. I'm not the co-host. But uh, no. yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> well, you're you're the expert. I'm the I'm just the guy who's pushing the buttons and not doing that very well either. So um, I'm I'm the producer. I'll call myself. Um, that way, I don't have to fail as a host. I can fail as a producer. I mean, I, I failed that, a producer in many different aspects. When I listened back to week one, I was like, I always wondered what a podcast would sound like with a metronome. 
Um, well, that situation has been fixed thanks to my mother because my mother listened to it and uh, she's like, what's the stupid ticking in the background? I was like, oh man, I went to the file and the metronome was on and I felt like a dummy and GarageBand does this to me. So I, uh, I fixed it. I reposted it. So if you go back and listen to it now, you won't hear that, I hope. But uh, wherever you are listening, uh, like and subscribe and uh, help us go forward. Uh, we're just droning on now. We're going to wrap it up so you guys have got other things to do with your day. But uh, yeah, tune in next week as we're going to break down another full week of CFL football. Peace.